can be seated. We're going to jump in here this morning. I'm so excited to get to the Word of God. This has been an awesome season here uh, as we've started a new uh, series called Masterpiece in Progress, studying the book of Ephesians. Man, there is a line that the worship team just led us in. Uh, I have never been so glad that I put my faith in Jesus. And as we were singing that, I was like, man, that's got to be true, right? Like, we can't sing that with, like, crossed arms and hands in the pockets. Like, are you glad for what Jesus has done for you this morning, church? Are you glad for what he has done? Some of you aren't quite there yet. So let's get there, okay? Let's get there. Because we're in this series, and we're studying the book of Ephesians. And one thing that the Apostle Paul does throughout this book, throughout this letter, is that he goes back and speaks to our identity in Christ time and time again. It is so powerful. It's so powerful. And just in the first few verses of chapter one, you know, go backwards a little bit because you know the last two weeks we've studied chapter one in the beginning of chapter two, something has happened. First 10 verses, Paul speaks powerfully to our identity in Christ. And we're going to talk about this all throughout the message this morning. But as Christians, it is so important to have this firm foundation in Christ. Because let me say, some of us are walking in here this morning and we are beaten down by the storms of life. We've gone through job loss. We've gone through personal loss. We're walking through hard circumstances. And if that firm foundation, if it's not firm, if it's faltering, man, those storms are going to beat us up. They're going to shake our faith. But that's not what the Apostle Paul wants for us. That's not what we want for each other, right? We want people who are fully engaged with Jesus, fully alive, fully rooted in his foundation that he has given us. So check this out. Stay with me for one second, okay? And I'm going to just give a snapshot of just the first 10 verses in Ephesians. And I'm going to point out some of the promises that Paul makes to us about our identity in Christ. Verse 1, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit later in this word saints that he uses because he's going to repeat it in the passage that we're studying. But, but he says, to the saints. Do you notice that he didn't say to the future saints? To the ones who are becoming saints? To the saints. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are considered a saint. Do you believe that to be true about your identity, church? Do you believe that to be true? Yeah, verse 3, he goes on to say, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. If you are in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. There is nothing that you lack. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to be true? Yeah, and so when we walk through challenging seasons, when we walk through refining, pruning seasons, God hasn't abandoned us. We don't lack anything. He's using those seasons to make us realize that everything that we need is found in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Verse 4, he says, you are chosen, holy, blameless. This word holy, it literally means set apart. Chapter 1, you know, if you go back a few weeks, Pastor Ryan taught us about this word that he uses in chapter 1. You are predestined, that the Lord chose you. He chose you. As a beloved one, he chose you to be holy, to be set apart for him. He goes on to say in verse 5, you are adopted. You are no longer familyless. You are no longer fatherless. You have a, a, a people to belong to in the church in Christ Jesus, and you have a father in heaven who loves you. Do you revel in that truth? Do you remind yourself of that truth day in and day out, that God the Father loves you, that he chose you? He adopted you. 
Verse 7, he goes on to say that you are redeemed and forgiven. Sit with this one for a second. Every sin that you have committed, every lie, every adulterous act, everything that you have done that is evil in the sight of the Lord, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Listen, when we come to Sunday church, we're coming together to celebrate what the Lord is doing in our lives. How we're living out this forgiveness that he has given us to this world around us. We are forgiven. We have to be rooted in this identity. Forgiven, redeemed, and free. Verse 8 and verse 9, he goes on to say, God lavishes us and he speaks to us. God's not distant. He's not a God who doesn't care about our needs. He knows what we need, and he lavishes us. First and foremost, with the best gift that we've ever received in Jesus, coming down to live that perfect and sinless life and to die on the cross to pay the sin, pay, uh, penalty for sin and death, that we might be removed from that, and that way we might be brought to new life as a new humanity in him. These are powerful truths. He speaks to us. No, nothing is more profound in the way that he speaks to us than through the gospel. Our whole lives, everything points back to the gospel. That is our foundation for what Jesus has done for us. Finally, in verse 10, he goes on to say, we are united in Christ. We're united in Christ. Not just with Christ, but we're united as the family of God. Amen? That's what we're going to be studying this morning. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, in the passage that we'll be studying. In light of Christ, in light of Jesus' marvelous grace that he has given us, how do we live as one people united in him? We're going to jump right in. I'm going to put pause. I just spoke some powerful truths. Take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Woo. Okay, let it all out. I'm going to, uh, uh, as we talk about identity, I'm going to let you in uh, to a little bit of um, the truth about me, okay? A little bit of a confession. I've got a little bit of a nerdy side to me. Anybody else? Anybody else got a, like a little bit of a nerdy? Yeah, we're all nerdy. Come on. Don't be, don't be too cool. We've all got a little nerdy side. My nerdy side is that if you come over on the nights or the weekends, we might find ourselves playing a, a strategy game, maybe Settlers of Catan. My wife tells me that I'm so nerdy that I actually built a secret bookcase in my house so I took out a closet, I built a, a, a bookcase that opens up, and she's like, babe, you've got like a secret layer with all your strategy board games in there. That's pretty nerdy, right? It's pretty nerdy. Nothing will make you feel more nerdy if you know about Settlers of Catan and strategy games than trying to describe strategy games to other people, right? Oh, you got to collect the wheat and the sheep and like build resources and all of that. Like it's just, it's a super nerdy thing. But there's something else that proves my nerdiness, and that's my love for Lord of the Rings. Anybody else love Lord of the Rings? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not alone there. Thank you. It was a book series originally written by the author J.R.R. Tolkien in between actually 1937 and 1949. Uh, you know, if you're familiar with history, those were some pretty dark years in the world, right in the midst of World War II. And that's really the theme of Lord of the Rings. It's the battle of good against evil. Now, the Lord of the Rings, it takes place in a fictional world that the author created, this fantasy world called Middle-Earth. Middle-Earth, it has its own geography. It's got several different races and people, right? You've got elves, door. Oh, man, it's so nerdy to describe this. Oof, Lord, help me. I'm going to get through it, right? It's got its own people. Uh, it's got their own languages. I mean, he just built out this amazing story around these books, 
And the whole plot of Lord of the Rings is that it's about the war between the peoples of Middle-earth and uh, their fight against darkness and the dark lord Sauron. See, at the time, they were trying to destroy the ring, right? One ring to rule them all, the ring of power. And what this ring represents is actually sin and darkness and evil in the world. The author is a Christian, and so there's all these Christian themes that are packed into this incredible story. And so it's the battle of good against evil. And it's, the, it's about the journey of how they're going to destroy this ring that has a threat to bring all of Middle Earth under the rule of evil. So I've got a little clip to show us. Go ahead and, uh, production team, go ahead and roll it. It must be taken deep into Mordor and cast back into the fiery chasm from whence it came. One of you must do this. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. Okay, so you get the scene of where we're at, right? There's a great threat of evil, and all of these representatives of all these different races, they're coming together. And they're saying, man, there's this threat of evil, like it's going to destroy us, what are we gonna do? And, and, and what do they end up doing in this scene? They end up fighting, they end up divided. How true is that of humanity? How true is that of humanity? We have a great threat of evil. We learned last week that there is principalities of darkness, there is demonic influence all over our world and, and in systems of government and all these uh, in systems of injustice and, and racial injustice and all these evil things that grieve the heart of God that are at play and at stake. And yet, the church can oftentimes be divided. It can oftentimes be divided. And what we need to do and what we need to learn to do is to come together, to work together, to be unified, to be unified and our purpose of sharing the gospel to a, to a desperate and broken world. We're going to be looking Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Open up your Bible app if you've got it. And we're going to learn how to break this cycle. How to break this worldly cycle of division and disunity. How to come together as the body of Christ and how to live as a radical new humanity. Let's jump in here. Verse 11. It reads this, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Amen. As we seek to live a unified life in Christ, as we seek to live as this you, humanity, if our goal is unity, then the first step that we have to take, it begins with making less of ourselves. And our first point that I want us to focus in here is that we have to kill the ego. To be unified, we have to kill the ego. There's actually some really good material that's out there right now, kind of in the, in the secular world. And, and there's a book, I can't uh, fully recommend the author for what he believes in stuff, but it's a great title of a book. All you just need to do is hear the, the title of the book. It's called Ego is the Enemy. Ego is the enemy. It's kind of one of those books. Just read the title and you, you get the gist of the book, right? Ego is the enemy. When there's ego at play, division is bound to follow. See, pride, it's a natural dividing line. And the Apostle Paul, he's actually gonna, he's gonna describe two areas of division here in these first few verses. He calls out the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles is just this all-encompassing word that's used here to describe anybody who's non-Jewish. See, in first century worldview of Paul, those are the dividing lines. You're either Jew or you're non-Jew. It's as simple as that. And the Jews, this area of division, of pride that he's going to call out where ego exists, is that there's religious pride. They know that they're God's chosen people. They have the marks of circumcision physically on their body. But instead of that being a call and a mandate to, to bless others, wait, they, they actually separate themselves. And what religiosity always does is that it always oppresses others. It puts yourself on a pedestal to say, I'm better than you. And it oftentimes leaves others without hope. That's exactly what happened with the Jews. Now, we're going to talk about religious pride here in a little bit later in the message. But Paul really zeroes in on this, this other area of division. And it's that division in this area of secular pride. Because this is what was true about the Gentiles. And so he's going to call out what secular pride and, 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 and what people were seeking and, and finding without God and living in this world of, 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 of what their lives were leading them to. And so he says this important word. He actually says it twice in these verses. He says, remember. He says, remember. And he's speaking to the Gentiles here. He says, remember, call to mind. Live in this reality. Live with the knowledge and remember what was true about you before you came to put your faith in Jesus. He says, remember. So to kill the ego in our lives, we have to be a people who remember. We have to be a people who live in that reality day in and day out of what Jesus has done for us. And there's a reason why Paul just goes back and just affirms identity over and over because he wants us to be well-rooted. He doesn't want pride to creep in. He doesn't want us to think, ah, I'm good enough for what Jesus has done. And then just to try to live this Christian life on our own. So to kill the ego, we have to be a people who remembers. For the Gentiles, to remember their past was to remember that they were once a people cut off from God. They weren't ethnic Jews, and so they were treated as outcasts. Paul actually uses the language circumcision versus uncircumcised. It was like kind of a derogatory word of distinguishment that was used by the Jews. You're uncircumcised. You don't have the marks and the promise of the covenant from God. And this created a problem for the Gentiles. For all of the non-Jews, this is what it meant. It meant that they were separated from Christ. They had no savior and they were without divine purpose and without divine destiny. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, 
right? It says they were strangers to the covenant of promise. You see, if you know anything about the Old Testament and, and the covenant that God had made with the Jews, he had promised to give them a land, a priesthood, a people, a nation, a kingdom, and a king. And to those who believed him, and he promised to give them eternal life. But the Gentiles, they were separated from these promises. And the reality is, is that it created a hopeless situation. Paul goes on to say they had no hope. And they were without God in the world. No divine promises, hopeless situation, separated from God. This is the reality of the Gentiles. And Paul says, remember, remember. What remembering does is it draws us to Christ. Each one of us in the same way was separated from Christ at one point before we chose to put our faith in him. That's what's true. And so we don't remember our past to beat ourselves up with guilt. We remember our past to draw near to Christ, to live in the reality of what he has forgiven us from. That's grace. That's grace at play. You heard Pastor Ryan preach last week, and he just dropped this amazing line. I think it was from uh, Pastor John Piper, where he says, grace is a power. It's not just a pardon. What that means is that grace doesn't just forgive us, although it does that. Like we talked about, it washes us clean and forgives us of sins, but, but grace is a power. It's a power. It's a power to crucify our flesh. It's a power to let ego die. It's a power to remember and live in the reality of what Jesus has done for us. I had an interesting experience just a few months ago. My wife and I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii to visit my, uh, my brother, Josh, um, who's stationed over there in the Marine Corps. He's been in the Marine Corps for about 18 or 19 years, and uh, his, his military career has been pretty interesting. But he went in and enlisted straight out of high school, and, uh, and then eventually along the way he became an officer. And so the reality of it is, is, is because of his journey, he's a little bit behind where maybe people the same age that he is are in the military. There might be a rank or two ahead of him. And, and, and the issue that this creates in the military and what he was explaining to me, and this was kind of my first you know, time really hearing this perspective is, is that because of this division, these dividing lines, like they have a hard time connecting and making friends. My brother and his wife, they have, uh, they're blessed with six beautiful children. So the people who are in the similar stage of life as they're in, who maybe have kids and are married, those people don't really want to hang out with them because they're a lesser rank. And I was sitting with my brother and I was kind of, I was hearing these stories and I was like, oh, dude, like I couldn't, I couldn't do this. I couldn't be in the military. Like that's just so anti-Christian. It's so anti-Christian, right? Because what the gospel of grace does, the gospel of Jesus does is it levels the playing field. It wipes out ego. It wipes out room for us to put ourselves on pedestals, to control, to manipulate others. It puts us all on the loving playing field. It's saying we are all sinners in need of grace. We don't pull rank on one another. We don't isolate from people because maybe they're a lesser rank than us or they look different or make less money or anything crazy like that. Our purpose is to live in unity. So Jesus, he comes and he crushes this wall of hostility, these dividing walls that exist, and he brings peace. He calls us to live in that same sort of humility that he displayed on the cross. So how do we practically, how do we kill the ego? There's a few uh, words and, and phrases that we use here at Awaken Church. And uh, if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard these said in, in different messages and in life groups and all of that. But there's two really core values that we, we seek to live out here. 
And the first one is this, is that we go deep and we get real. Have any of y'all ever heard that before? One per, Pastor Ryan, all right. Yeah, okay, I'm seeing hands go up. You guys are catching on. We go deep and get real. What does this mean? This means that we're a people who are unashamed about our past. We model this, whether it's Sunday services, whether it's life groups, uh, discipleship relationships, we go deep and we get real. In other words, to say that we like wear our hearts on our sleeves. We're like, man, if you would have known me years ago, if you would have known who I was before Jesus, we would not have been friends and you would not have liked me. Riddled with ego, riddled with pride, riddled with sexual addiction, riddled with all these things, but yet look what the gospel of Jesus has done for me. Look what it's done for me. And so we're a people who are unashamed, amen? We're unashamed of our past and we're honest about it and we're real about it because what that does is when we buy into that language, when we say, hey, we're going to go deep and get real, it helps us walk in vulnerability. It helps us walk in humility with one another. And when that happens, then we're aware of the schemes of Satan. We're aware of how Satan wants to attack one another. And so actually we become unified in that process. I'm saying, man, if I know that my, my brother struggles with X, Y, and Z, you better believe I'm not going to partake in those things around him. Right? We start to think of others first, even before ourselves. So we go deep and get real. The second core value that we have is that we honor one another. We honor one another. And the way that we show honor is by serving humbly. It's by serving humbly. I just want to just pause and just, just say really quick, and he's going to hate that I'm doing this, but we have a lead pastor here at this church who serves so humbly. He sets the tone for us. He sets the tone for the staff. He sets the tone for the church of what it means to show up and to serve humbly and to think of others more highly than yourself. And when I get to, get to connect with Pastor Ryan and I see this value lived out with him, it spurs me on. It spurs me on. To say, I'm not working for a position. I'm not working to put myself on a pedestal. I'm, I'm here. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve others. Thank you. Thank you for how you lead out in that core value. Seriously, yeah. We are so blessed, man. We're so blessed. Humility, it's a powerful thing. We go deep. We get real. We honor one another. See, when our ego is in check, when we're actively killing the ego by opening up our lives, sharing life with one another, then grace, it becomes actually the power to pursue others rather than a power to punish. It becomes a power to pursue rather than a power to punish. You see, the issue with the Jews in this religious pride is that they were punishing others. They were punishing others. God wanted to work through the nation of Israel, not just to bless them, but that so they could be a blessing to others, so that they could bless the nations around them. But they allowed this, 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 this status as God selected people to, to build walls of hostility. And it not, it's not a part of God's design. And kill the ego, it allows us to pursue others, to be real with one another, to level the playing field. Amen? The second point this morning is that now we're only not called to kill the ego, but we're called to seek reconciliation. We're called to seek reconciliation. Let's get back to the word. It's kind of picking it up mid-sentence here, uh, but starting in verse 15, it says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, speaking of Jesus, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 
verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Kill the ego, seek reconciliation. Now, there's a little bit of a potential pitfall in misinterpreting verse 15. And I want to just spend a little bit of time going deep in this. So just hang with me. If it's a little bit heady, if it's a little bit overhead, just, just hang in there. Because it's important to really understand what the Apostle Paul's saying in this verse. Because it's strong language. Abolish the law. And what people can take that as is saying, okay, abolish the law, the Old Testament, all the commands. It has no significance. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. What I would wager to say is that he's saying abolish the wall of hostility. It's all about abolishing the dividing lines that the law created. So he's not criticizing or condemning the Mosaic law. And by the way, that's kind of a, a term for all of the laws, commandments, and things that were instituted under Moses. So feasts, sacrifice, all of those things. And what the law required of the Israelites, it required them to, if you know it, only eat certain foods, to observe certain holy days, and to adopt a tire mode of life that would ensure that they did not mix with other nations. That was the whole intention and design of the law. So everything about the law was to set the nation of Israel apart from other nations. Not to be xenophobic or not to, uh, to, to separate themselves completely, but rather to be blessed by God and therefore to be a blessing to the nations. See, why all of the nations around Israel historically were building borders and building barriers, God called his people to live by a much different standard. If you know the story of the Israelites wandering through the desert, landing in the promised land, there wasn't hard and fast borders. That wasn't what God intended to have. He wanted the nation of Israel to be open border, to be a blessing to the nations. He wanted them to be a blessing to the nation. So he's not throwing away the law. He's not discounting anything that happened in the Old Testament. For it's actually the law where we get to know the very character of God and where he begins to reveal himself to his people. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying, I'm not, abol not abolishing the law. He's not diminishing it. But what he is saying is that the law became hijacked. The law became hijacked. Now remember Ephesians 1, right? And Pastor Ryan taught on this a little bit last week, but we know that there's principalities at play. We know that we're living in this state, in this world of kind of the already, but not, but the not quite yet. Does that make sense? That Jesus has come, that he now reigns victoriously over everything. Everything is under submission to Jesus, but he's going to come back again. And that time and that second coming is when he brings full justice and full accountability to sin. And so right now we're kind of living in this in-between state. We're supposed to be the light of Christ, but the reality of it is, is the presence of darkness is very real. There's demonic influence all around us and in systems of government and all of that. And so what Paul is saying is that the law became hijacked because of man's failure. Because of man's failure, because of the ego, what they did is that they started to build the walls of hostility to say, no, we're God's chosen people and to start to war and to fight against other nations. That was never God's intention. See, Israel regarded its position as being elected by God as a privilege rather than a mandate for mission. Regarded as a privilege rather than a mandate for mission. Religious pride, it always creates walls and barriers. But again, that's not the heart of God. So what is the heart of God? What is the heart of God? He's a God who reconciles. 
His heart has always been about reconciliation. His heart has always been about reconciliation. And the way that he did that for us was through the gospel of Jesus. He has reconciled us back to him through Jesus. So all of those identity statements that we studied at the very beginning of this message, that we're adopted, we're forgiven, redeemed, all of these things are true because of Jesus. Amen? Because of this, because of this, because of God's heart of reconciliation and how that was displayed through the gospel, we now have a new mandate to follow. You guys know it. Jesus gave it in Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Right? Go ye therefore to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. He gives a new mandate. He gives a new mandate. He invites us into this mission that he's on of reconciliation. And that is now our purpose. Isn't that encouraging? The way that we say this here, as you know, our vision statement at Awaken Church, if you've been around for a while, it's actually on that back wall and that banner over there, right? Wake up, engage, and go out. The way that we phrase this, this, this mandate of Jesus is to go out. Is to go out. To go out, to cross racial and economic dividing lines that this world has created in its injustice systems to share the hope of Jesus around us. Pastor Ryan always ends his messages almost every week with saying church happens more Monday through Saturday than on Sunday. And what he means by this is we're not called to be a people who just think about our faith as being lived out on a Sunday. That's going to be a pretty weak and faltering faith. No, the mandate is to live out the mission of Jesus every day of our lives. And we have the opportunity to engage and to seek reconciliation in a broken world. We're called to go out. We're called to cross these dividing lines. The way that this begins for us here at Awaken Church, the way that this begins is actually in life group. While Sundays are good, and while Sundays are celebratory, when we come together and we celebrate and we remember all that God has done for us as a community of believers, life groups orient us around the mission. And so we go from here and we step into life groups to be able to be reminded of the mission that Jesus has for us. To be able to sit as a family of God in a living room and to actually seek and to live out reconciliation where it matters the most. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our day-to-day -day lives. So this process of reconciliation and seeking it, it begins in life groups. But it's not the end zone. Going out, it requires a people who dream. Going out, it requires a people who dream. People who live with this just unquenchable like curiosity of, 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 of asking God, what do you want to do through my life? How do you want to use me? Awaken church. We are a church of dreamers. We're a church of dreamers. We're not a people who are sitting back waiting for the church to build a program so that we can find our identity or use our purpose in that. We are a people who are proactively dreaming, proactively living with the curiosity of how do you want to use me for your honor and your glory? And the difference in that change is, is that it flips the script from you guys being dependent on your pastors to you, to you owning the mission of Jesus and to you seeking to live out reconciliation. Do you see the change? Do you see the change? There, we say it all the time in worship leading and when I encourage people in joining the worship team and just realizing like, listen, there are songs on your heart that only you can sing. 
Your voice is important. It's important to the chorus and the voices of the body of Christ. Yours is unique, and there's a uniqueness about you that has been designed for mission. I had the opportunity to sit with some of our, some of our key leaders in the church this week, and, and they lead life groups and some different things. And as we were sitting around the living room, I was asking them this question. Like, hey, it's great that you're leading life group. Thank you. Thank you for doing that, for opening up your home and practicing hospitality. This is a great starting point. But what's the passions that the Lord is stirring on your heart? You. You. Not like us. I'm not here to give you vision. What are you passionate about? And just in that room, just with a few leaders, it was amazing. Right? It was amazing just hearing their responses of somebody coming out of, uh, of being of like, of like literally like an addic addiction to sin into being saved from that addiction and, and, and now seeking to lead other men and walking in freedom. He's passionate about that because he's honest and he's open and he's vulnerable about it and he knows what the power of grace has done in his life and he's eager to share that with others. Whew, somebody else in that room, they went out and they started at their own initiative uh, a strip club ministry. You see, there used to be a, a stigma that, uh, that related to uh, women in, 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 in sex work. And as we've see, sought to fight out this stigma, we've, what we've realized is that oftentimes these women are in a position not because they want to be, they're victims of human trafficking, of drug addiction, all these other things in their life that are painful and hurting. And instead of sitting there and throwing stones and judging them, she took initiative to create a team to go in and start building relationship with these women, to start caring for them, to cross the dividing lines that the world has built to say, no, we love you. We love you. That's amazing. It's amazing. There's somebody else in that room who, 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 who came out of actually like a, a, a cultish type faith. And, and, and what happened in, in, their, in their journey, I love their testimony. It's, it's incredibly powerful, like literally reading through Romans and like meeting Jesus and just like having their life wrecked. And it, it stirs my heart because it's powerful. It's just an, a powerful testimony. But, but they were saved out of this, 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 this ugly religion and they were set free by Jesus. And now they carry this passion of discipleship. This passion of discipleship, of teaching other people who Jesus really is and what it looks like to follow them. Man, I love sitting with dreamers. I love sitting with dreamers of people who live with that curiosity of, Lord, how do you want to use me? When we do that, you would be amazed with all of the crazy boundaries and barriers that the world has built up that we are able to cross. I play soccer with, uh, with some, of my, some of my buddies in here, and uh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that, you know, sports, like as much as I love playing soccer, it's, it's, it's not for the sake of soccer that we're going. We talk about that all the time, remembering, like, we're called to be a light to guys whose identity is all messed up. It's all caught up in performance and, 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 and all things like that, and we get to go and, and to show them a better way and to share Jesus. Hobbies even become transformed when we're living by this grace, when we kill our egos, and when we're living this life of seeking reconciliation. Are you with me? Awaken, church. I'm looking at you in the seats. You, you, you have the authority to dream. Dream. Dream big dreams. Live with this curiosity. Ask the Lord, Lord, dream your dreams through me. What do you want to accomplish through me? Listen, we're going to get in life groups this week and we're going to go deeper here. So this is just the starting point of this conversation. I want to encourage you, show up to life group this week. Get into life group and as we dissect this question, 
come ready for what the Lord wants to show you. How he wants even to use other people in your life group to maybe speak out some things and some truths in your life and some ministry opportunities that maybe you've been missing. Show up. Let life groups be the starting point to launch you into a vibrant ministry of preaching the gospel across racial lines, across economic lines, across all of those barriers that the world has built. Amen? Yeah. Our third and final point this morning is that when we kill our ego, we put it to death, we crucify it, we seek reconciliation. When we're doing that, it's to continue to live out your true identity. Let's get back to scripture. Verse 19, it reads this. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Live your true identity, Awaken Church. I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul, he begins this letter focusing on identity, reinforcing the truths about who we are in Christ. And then he pivots a little bit and he opens up this door in this conversation about living unified and seeking reconciliation and living in peace and all these beautiful things. And then he goes back in the verses that we just read and ending and reinforcing our identity. It's not a coincidence. He wants us to be so well-rooted in Christ. He knows that's our only hope. It's our only hope to live out peace and reconciliation amongst each other. That's our only hope as we seek to live out reconciliation to a divided world. It all comes back to identity. This verse in, chapter, in, in 19, verse 19, it says, fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. You're a citizen of heaven. You are a member of the household of God. It's who you are. And while we're still being chiseled away, as Pastor Ryan taught us last week by grace, still being chiseled away, the reality of it is, is that you're a masterpiece here and now because of what Christ has done for you. You are considered a member of heaven if you have put your faith in Jesus. Isn't that good news? So what we've actually done, because I wanted this like to be a practical for us. I don't want us walking out of here and then just like, okay, that was nice. I feel encouraged. But like, how do we root identity onto our hearts? And so we actually had some wristbands made um, this week, and we're going to hand them out. The Connections team is going to hand them out as you leave. And they're just these small little wristbands. Um, and it's got citizen and it's got saint on both sides of it. And we just want it to be a simple reminder for you. I don't know if you don't wear wristbands, you can put it on a keychain or do something different with it. But it's been cool. I've been wearing mine the last few days. And when I'm just doing like menial tasks and doing things like I'll just see the word and it kind of just pops out. I'm like, saint, oh man, I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Maybe for you, maybe you're dealing with some addictive sins and you need that reminder like right there in front of you. And maybe it'll just be an encouragement and blessing to you. Maybe for you, you're kind of like me, kind of just get lost in some tasks, you know, and, 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 and can kind of get a little bit straying from, from our mission and, and, and strayed from our reminder of our identity in Christ. Maybe this bracelet is just going to be a, a fun little reminder for you to look down and just be like, man, I'm a saint. I'm a citizen. 
Let's put it on our hearts, though, not just our wrists, okay? My other challenge for you with that and living out your true identity, go back, study this week's passage, go back to the first few chapters of Ephesians, do your own exercise, ask the Lord, Lord, what do you say is true about me? And then read through the verses. Let the Lord speak to you. I already read a bunch of those things out, but I guarantee you, when you sit alone with the Lord, something's going to jump out that maybe hasn't before. Because that's who God is. He is always speaking to and always reminding of us of what our true identity is. He's always wiping away the lies of this world so that we can know him and the truth of what he speaks about us. Amen? Amen. He goes on to say, we're not just citizens and saints, as our wristbands say. But he says we're a holy temple. He says every believer is a new stone in Christ's temple, the church. And then he goes on to say we're a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Dwelling place, it literally connotates a permanent home. Holy Spirit residing in us. Living out this, this, this true identity of who we are, it's, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and why he said a lot of good things to foreshadow the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because we have to be so dependent on him. So dependent to be spirit-led in all things. Think back to that video that we watched in the beginning. The cool thing is with the Lord of the Rings, you know, the story doesn't end there. The people didn't remain divided. It took the courage of one little hobbit, Frodo, to step up. And right after that, the scene that I cut off, he says, I'll do it. I'll take the ring. In some ways, Frodo actually represents Jesus. That when we were divided, when we were hostile to one another, fighting one another, practicing horrible things of, of division and racism and, 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 and all of those things that, that Jesus came and he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take on death and I'll take on the penalty of sin and I will die for it and I will die for you so that you might be released from the law, you might be released from the penalty of death, and that you might live in freedom. You might live in freedom. One person who that's good news to. Do you believe it? Jesus came to set you free. He came to set you free. He says, I'll do it, and he stepped up, and he took that sin, that ring that represents sin and death. He took it all the way to the grave. And he buried it once and for all. And we stand victorious on the shoulders of Jesus as our foundation. So what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Friends, it's time to unite as the body of Christ. To pull together. To release the dreamers among us. To break down the walls of hostility that have been built by man. And to, and to teach Jesus and to preach Jesus to all people. All people. All people. I love what scripture tells us heaven is going to look like. It's going to be a place filled with all nations, all tribes, all tongues. If that's true, if that is true, which it is, we're going to need to be a church of dreamers. Some of you may be sitting in your seat, and as we wrap up, and I'm going to invite the worship team back up, but as you sit in your seat, you may be thinking, what is my purpose? What is my mission? One of the things that's been stirring in the staff here at Awaken is, is to really focus and to buy into ministering to the next generation. If we don't do this effectively, 
If we don't love this next generation and, and sacrifice our time and our talents and our treasures to minister to them and to bless them, starting from infants in the kids' room all the way up to young adults, whatever it encompasses, everything in between, if that's not a priority for us, the church is in trouble. The future of the church is in trouble. But, but what if we unite what if we rally around reaching the next generation and we prioritize it? I've heard a lot of people say over my few years here at Awaken, like, oh, there's a burden for youth ministry and, and there's a burden for this and that, but, but, but I've never seen you serve. I've never seen you step up. And I'm just saying, now's the time. Jesus is tugging on the heart. He wants you to be somebody who reconciles the lost to the Father through Jesus. Would you step up? Would you start to serve? Listen, I know changing diapers isn't fun. I know it's not fun. I have to do it a lot. I've got four kids. But I was telling our, our kids' ministry team this morning in our team huddle, I was saying, I hope as we handed out the bracelets to them, I hope when you look down and you see that word saint and you're changing a diaper, that you remember this is Christianity. <laughs> it's meeting people in their mess. It's doing the hard things, the things that are uncomfortable for us and serving in that area faithfully. Would you consider stepping up, ministering to the next generation? Our world is full of hostility and dividing lines. And I think the one thing that's unique and cool about Austin and especially about Round Rock is there is so much diversity. The nations are here. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Specifically, Asian, Indian populations, African populations, what are we doing about it? We need people to dream to figure out ways to connect with these communities. Well, can that be you? Can that be you? Listen, we don't have to go to India to see people converted and come to faith and believe Hinduism. And let me tell you, when that happens, when we're faithful to witness to people here, can you imagine when that person's time in America is done up and we've shared the good news of Jesus, they've received it, they've been discipled and following Jesus, and then they go back to India? Do you know what's going to happen? A movement is going to start, a movement of the gospel. But it starts with people being willing to dream here and being willing to get out of their comfort zones. What are you doing? How are you doing it? It's not a legalism question. It's a dreaming question. Friend, you are qualified. You are a saint. You are a citizen of heaven. The Lord wants to use you powerfully. Would you stand up with me? Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you desire to use us for your honor and for your glory. Dream your dreams through us, God. Let us see the walls of hostility broken down as we commit to following you, Jesus, no matter the call, no matter the cost. All for your honor, all for your glory, King Jesus. Amen.